how long, how long I essay water till my water gets put back on, how, how long I essay power authorities till my power's back on again, and worst of all, how long I Telstra until my internet's reconnected. Well, the, the nice uh, lady in the call centre um, tells you that, well, sir, we, we, will, we can say definitely that we will have your internet working again by this time next week. What? This time? That, that, you know, I, I can't manage without my internet for that long. That's just, I mean, what impatient creatures we are. How long? We're always like, we're like a mob of kids in the car on holiday saying, when are we going to get there, Dad? Is we nearly there? How long? And yet, these are all for things that really don't matter. Uh, you know, we will survive without our internet, we'll survive without power even, and water, we'll, we'll manage. But what happens when we, when we have a problem where there is no call centre that we can ring? And that's where the where David finds himself today, where those, those issues, um, those problems that are just outside the realm of, of earthly help. There is no earthly help that we can call on. Where can I go? Where can I go but to the Lord? How long, O oh Lord? How long? Will you forget me forever? I, I just reckon it's amazing that God has included this, uh, this psalm, and lots of them like it, in the, in the canon of Scripture, saying, saying to here we are, saying to the creator of the universe, how long till you help me and will you forget me forever? Uh, because this, this psalm, like lots of others, is, is kind of what's known in the trade as complaining, isn't it? That's what he's doing, he's complaining. And why would our great and holy creator put such things in his holy word. Um, he, he, he not only puts them in there, it seems like he's encouraging us to speak that way to him, the creator of the universe. In the first couple of verses here, the, 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 the how long bit, that, that occurs four times. I wonder why David wrote these, these verses. In some ways it it shows his great and close relationship with his God. Will you forget me forever? I mean, a lot of a lot of people who follow other gods and worship other gods would say that well, that's not how you speak to your God, and they're not even gods at all. But David writes in the same way that a, he speaks in the same way that a son would to his loving father. We don't know what the circumstances were that caused David to write these verses, um, but it's not hard to think of, is of issues in his life where it might have been. Um, the one that came to my mind was when uh, he'd committed adultery with Bathsheba and, uh, and you, might, you remember that Bathsheba became pregnant out of that and so David uh, had Bathsheba's husband Uriah murdered and, uh, and then nine months later, the child was born. But the child was not well. And, uh, and if, we, if we go back to uh, the second book of Samuel, I'll just read a little bit to give, set the context. 
David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he wouldn't eat any food with them. And on the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, we spoke to David, but he wouldn't listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. But David noticed his servants were whispering among themselves and he realised the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. And then David got up from the ground and he washed and put on lotions and changed his clothes and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. And then he went to his own house and they gave him food. Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, when the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So it kind of fits pretty well with the sentiments in this psalm. David had seven days to plead with God for the life of his son. But God did what was right for both the child and for David. And that's the thing, isn't it? That God's always going to do what is good for his people. Um, But in this fallen world where sickness and disease and accidents and terror and all those things are all around us, we are going to have times when we too are going to cry out, how long, O Lord? I mean, the only way to avoid it really is to to die as soon as you're born because everybody will, will suffer to some extent. Will you forget me forever? It seems like God... Sometimes like God doesn't care that he's not listening, even when we plead with him. But even a little bit of Bible knowledge will tell us that that is not the case. Um, Isaiah 49, when Israel were being attacked by Babylon and carted off to exile, and they said, the Lord has forsaken us. The Lord has forgotten us. And God replied, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Even though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. And and as Matt said before, we're moving into a series on Luke and uh, I'm looking forward to chapter 15 and the, uh, the parables and the lost son, the son who took half his father's property and went off and wasted it. But was there a a day when the the father did not think of his son who'd gone away and longed for his return? So even though when we think that God has forgotten us and he's not listening, we need to to remind ourselves of, of who our God is and how he sees us. How long will you hide your face from me? 
Once again, it may seem like God has turned away from us. And it must have seemed like that to David as he spent seven days and nights pleading with God. And to Jesus on the cross, probably the, the prime example, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that's the thing. We can't see what God sees and we don't know what God knows. We see in a glass darkly. That's why Paul says that we do not lose heart. He, he knew that. He knew we do not lose heart. He encourages us to stop looking at the things we can see, the things that are troubling us, the things that make us think that God is not listening and that he doesn't care. Stop looking at those things and instead look at the things that we can't see. I know it's a paradox there, but that's, that's what we're asked to do. The things we can't see are the things that God can see. The eternal things. Not these light and momentary troubles that weigh us down in this world. Verse 2, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? For me, the, the early hours of the morning, about 5 in the morning is the worst time when I've got problems. You know, problems that seem like quite manageable and, and not not really a problem at all in the daytime, at five in the morning they can take on monstrous proportions. It's like you know, I was reading Spurgeon the other day and he said, ruminating on trouble is bitter work. And it is. When things are crook, the, the untrusting mind, the mind that's not trusting in God, can make them far worse. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Who is the enemy of God's people? Who is our, our, you know, we live amongst people, I think, who are good to us. We don't have people who are enemies, generally speaking. But who is the enemy of God's people? Who accuses us night and day and causes us to doubt? What is to be done with such a powerful foe? He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom to devour. What do we do? Go to the ancient way. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Go to the law and the testimony. Go to the word of God. Satan has some power, but we have far more. Sharper than any double-edged sword. The sword of the Spirit. Now this is where you're all going to grow. Because this is why I'm giving you some practical advice here. Memorise some scripture. That is the answer. It, for me it has been. And I can hear you all groan. It's too hard. But it's not. It's not easy. But the word is powerful. Like memorize Philippians four, uh, chapter four, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it. Rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's a great one to say to yourself. For, you know, I've often found that when I'm when I'm ruminating on trouble and it's bitter work, if I repeat that, I'll just end up falling asleep again. 
It's really nice. It's good. And the one we had from 2 Corinthians before that I mentioned, we do not lose, we do not lose heart. Even though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For these light and momentary troubles are preparing us for an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Romans 8.31 If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how much will he not also, along with him, give us all things? They're just great verses. They're not that hard. You just do it. You spend 15 minutes, you'll remember it. Repeat it to yourself every day for the next week or two, you'll remember it. Memorise Psalm 23. Sing Rick's song to you. That's a good way to remember that one. It's pretty much got most of the words from that psalm in it. It'll take you about half an hour to memorise it. I, uh, I went to visit uh, a lady once. Um, my name was on the sign and on the church across the road with my phone number. There's someone to ring if you needed someone and, and, and someone rang me once. And uh, it was a, a, a son-in-law of a lady who had been in our church but she'd been in the nursing home for some time and she rang me and said um, that this lady was dying and uh, would, so, would someone be able to come and visit. Now I knew our pastor was away, he was in Adelaide and we had another retired pastor there as well but he was also away and I told him that and said, look, there's just just no one around and he said, he just said to me outright well can't you come and I said well yeah I suppose so I went to went to visit and uh, the lady was close to death and uh, I really felt totally out of my depth but I had my bible with me and so I sat down next to the bed and wondered what these people who were sitting around her bed wanted me to do but I just took her hand and uh, she was pretty much out of it, unconscious, and I read Psalm 23 to them. And I felt her hand tighten on grip on mine as I started reading the scripture. And I just read the psalm, and I looked up, and there was about eight of them around the bed with me, and all of them had tears running down their face. And that's all I did was read the psalm. The word of God is powerful, and there's a battle going on out there. And to be involved in that battle, which we are, you need to, to be armed. Memorise the word of God. I remember John Piper saying that when he was a young pastor he and newly starting his ministry and he was asked to, in a similar situation to go and visit a member of the church who, who was dying. And, he, and his family said to him, can you bring us a word to encourage us pastor and he didn't have his bible with him and he knew nothing and he just he, he, he declared that after that I decided I would memorise as much scripture as I could there's a battle going on you need to be armed how long will my enemy triumph over me what ways does the enemy, our enemy triumph over us, with, with me it's Look, I, I've been a Christian for what well, was thirty years since since God reached down and caused me to be born again. But 
when I look at the unproductiveness of my life, the, the, the failure to, to really get on top of sin, and I know that, that you know, in this life we're probably never going to, I think, really, I should be destined for hell. But, but that's a, not the way to look at it, is it, as you know? It's the, way, the thing is that, that my, my problem is not too much sin. What my problem is is too little faith. I'm not trusting God that he is the one who looks not on my sin but on the Lord Jesus and his righteousness. Because on the cross happened what, what Martin Luther called the great exchange where we gave Jesus our sin and he gave us his righteousness. So our, our enemy has no grounds at all to triumph over us because Jesus died for me. But despite all David's questioning of God, he doesn't doubt where his help's going to come from. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth in Psalm 121. Look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Notice that, that David's God is not some distant, impersonal God. It's my God. You know, 3,000 years have come and gone since David wrote this, but it's still just as true now as then. He is still our God. He does not change. All of us can say, he is my God. It's, a, it's really sad when, when Christians, or people who've been going to church all their life, don't take hold of that truth. I remember a, another lady that, uh, that I was talking to once, and she was, she was seriously ill. Uh, she was still up and about, but but the prognosis was, was bad. It was terrible. And, uh, and I said to her, well, you need to really get on your knees and cry out to God. And she said to me, well, yes, but I, I just don't feel like I can. She said, I don't, you know, God is so distant and, and, and he, he, he's so great and I just don't feel like I can ask him anything. And I was kind of flabbergasted at the time. I've thought of lots of good answers since. But, you know, we have not... We have, we have, her view of God was like the God of Mount Sinai with smoke and flames where even if an animal came to it, it had to be put to death and stoned. But we have not... Our God is not like that. Our God, we have come to, to Mount Zion, to the New Jerusalem, to, and to Jesus, the mediator of the New Covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a, a better word than the blood of Abel. Give light to my eyes, verse 3. That's where we've come. Give light to my eyes. Let me see the majesty and glory of the Lord Jesus dying for me. Let me see the power of his resurrection and, and what that means for me. Open my eyes to see the grace and mercy of the loving Father who waits patiently for his lost son. Yes, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall, verse 4. Perhaps you know someone who resents you being a Christian and who longs to see you slip up. Once again, cry out to the Lord to help you live a life which honours him. How? Well, by trusting in him. 
that our enemy has not overcome us. And he will not overcome us because, he, because our, our Saviour is able to keep us from falling. So despite all David's doubts and complaints, and, and it is okay for us to doubt and complain because, well, we assume so because David did it a lot. And yet he knows whom to trust because he knows from experience that God's love does not fail. And that's a method that's common in the Old Testament especially, is to look back at God's faithfulness in the past. And, and we, can, we also can do that. I think each one of us can look back at our life and, and, and say, has he ever let me down? Has he ever been unfaithful to me? Well, why will it be any different now? Has Yahweh changed? So David finishes on a note of triumph. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. You know, God, we, we, all of us here can find, could find ways where God has been good to us. I mean, we're all, we've all had reasonable health. We're all still here. But, it, but even if all we had was the clothes on our back, we can still say that God has been good to me. He has chosen us in him before the creation of the world. And nothing can compare to his goodness and mercy that has been shown to us in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And we all know that. Well, we, we sort of know it, don't we? We, we? we say and we proclaim it all the time, and, but we kind of don't live always as if we know it. But like David in our troubles, our minds kind of get out of whack and they, they need realigning. Look, this subject of, of, of a Christian and suffering and, and just the, the sufferings that are common to man of sickness and, and disaster and all those things, it's just a huge subject. And, uh, and I, I just haven't got time to, to go into it so much today, but... Uh, I did actually preach on that topic in the, the, uh, in the church across the road and the sermon's still up on their website, actually. And uh, look, I'm too modest to tell you how good it was, but, <laughs> but you know, if, if you want to listen to a bit more on this subject, it's still there, Deb tells me. So, uh, and, 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 and a guy called uh, Don Carson, who a lot of you would have heard of, uh, a great Christian author, he wrote a book called from this psalm called How Long, O Lord? And that, to me, that is the... The, the definitive book on this subject. But even he gets to the end of it and says, look, sometimes the suffering that, that Christians or anybody can face in this life is just so bad that we just haven't got an answer for it in this life. That there are things that we're just not going to know here and here and now. We'll know then. You know, our knowledge now is only in part, but then we will know fully, even as we are fully known. Let me leave you with a, a quote from John Calvin. Let's learn to be so delighted with Christ alone. So let's learn to be so delighted with Christ alone that the perception of his grace may overcome and at length remove from us all the distresses of our body. I think that's the secret, but it's a lifelong learning process. One day, 
everything's going to be right. Everything will be fixed. The Lord Jesus will return. And there'll be no more suffering, no more crying, no more pain. Because he has borne it all for us on the cross.